This podcast covers mysteries of all kinds. Disappearances, strange events, murder, mysteries of the universe that cannot be explained. But what about the mysteries within ourselves? The mysteries of the mind. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring you Medical Mysteries. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. So, suffering a little bit of the national championship hangover, I stayed up and watched all the news conferences. Yeah, you're still in pretty good mood for some reason. Yes, can't wipe this grin off my shit-eating face. It's uh, pretty... You know, like I said earlier, two things were proven last night. The Georgia was probably the best team in the nation. And TCU probably was not the second best team in the nation. Good Lord, that was a beating. That was a beatdown that uh, I told my son last night that the offense coordinator called as good a game. Well, no, I'll take that back. I told my son that he called a better game in the national championship than he did against Oregon. And they were clicking against Oregon. So to start the year off clicking and then to finish the year the way they did, hell, they had the backups, backups, backups in and still scored twice. And that mm-hmm. freshman keep running back, whoo, his legs look like Nick Chubb's legs. Dude, this, it's unreal, man. This, next year the SEC is going to be stacked. Yeah, it is. Tennessee is going to be good again. LSU is going to be real good. Bama's going to be real good, and Georgia's going to be just as good as they were this year. I got a feeling that South Carolina's going to sneak up on some people again next year, too, because he's got them moving in the right way. You don't know what you're going to get out of Hugh Freeze. They're going to be better than they were at Auburn. So we'll see, man. We shall see. But this is a user request for Medical Mysteries, and it's actually we were requested to do one specific one. And after looking into it, we felt like that we would just give you a good old Mysterious Bruce triple play of weird medical shit. One of, one of which I've never heard of, which is the first one. I never even, I, did, I was supposed to research it, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know until I started researching it that there's actually a Netflix movie called Brain on Fire, the true story of Susanna Callahan. And the condition that she went through was not exclusively unusual, but it was so complicated to diagnose at the time that no one could figure out what was wrong with her. She suffered from an autoimmune disease of the brain, which is medically termed as anti-N-methyl-D-aspartate or anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. After being successfully treated, she releases a book named Brain on Fire, My Month of Madness in 2012 that covers her journey as a patient, the hardships she went through before getting on the right medications, all of the inaccurate diagnoses that she had to suffer through, as well as trying to educate the public on the severity of anti-NN DA receptor encephalitis. So, <laughs> so it didn't kill her. Well, no, good. it did oh, not. Man, all right. Now we're going to get a little, you think we have a hard time with foreign names. <laughs> Wait till you see us butcher the old <laughs> medical dictionary. Uh, not, not me. I'm just going to sit back and listen to you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so the NMDA is the glutamate receptor present on the neurons and acts as an ion transporter for the conduction of impulses to and from the brain. It moreover keeps the dopamine levels in check, which is essential for the proper functioning of the brain. The hypofunctioning of the NMDA glutamate synapse causes an increase in dopamine levels in the brain, which results in psychotic symptoms like loss of behavior control, motor controls of the brain, concentration issues, memory loss, etc., Dopamine dysregulation has been further linked to not only 
schizophrenia, ADHD, but also bipolar disorder. Now, the brain on fire disease is an autoantibody mediated (laughs) encephalitis, which was first identified back in the grand old time of 2007. So, yes, this is quite new. Now, an autoimmune neurological disorder is where the antibodies developed in the body, which are supposed to attack the pathogens, turn around and attack the own body. And in this case, the antibodies binds with the NMDA receptor present in the neurons of the brain and causes dysfunction and blockage in the glutamate synapse, which outcomes is the disorder named the receptor, anti-receptor encephalitis. The disease has always been an underlying condition with cancer, tumors, and the old herpes simplex encephalitis. Now, women and children are the most susceptible to this rare disease, which approximately 80% of cases being recorded of females and children in comparison to only 20% in males. So some of the symptoms that you can experience with brain on fire is cognitive impairments like confusion, lack of concentration, difficulty in perceiving and comprehending thoughts, decreased level of consciousness, etc., etc. They can also have behavior changes like mood swings, disorganized thoughts, hallucinations, paranoia, hearing voices, seizures. It can also mimic disorders like the tardive dyskinesia, which is the involuntary movements of muscles of the trunk, limbs, face, and so on in patients with a withdrawal syndrome. It can lead to an autonomic instability, which is a life-threatening condition in which the neurons regulating the involuntary muscles of the body are damaged as of heart and blood vessels, as well as the digestive system. Then you can go into a coma. You can have cerebral ataxia, which is loss of muscle control and coordination due to the damage in the cerebellum. And then you can have hemiparesis, which is partial paralysis to one side of the body. So how do you treat brain on fire, you may be wondering? I mean, honest to God, just to hear the words brain on fire, I was like, man, I don't want this. No, and there's a scene out of that movie. I watched a, uh, I guess, the little preview or trailer for that movie on Netflix. And, dude, the lady playing her literally is screaming at the top of her lungs, red face like she is about to die. So it's not not good, man. That shit's not good. Sometimes a good, sometimes a bad. This time's a bad. Sometimes a shit. <laughs> so the treatment is like any first-line treatments. They basically just throw you some steroids, some intravenous stuff, and some plasma exchange, basically dialysis. If that doesn't work, they'll hit you with a second line of treatments, which are immunosuppressants. Uh, I am... Am I even going to, yeah, let's give it a whirl. Cyclophosphamide, which in, in, I can't, I got that one. I can't say reduces uh, now. Hey, don't say, oh, let's give it a, should I or should I not? No, that's what people tune in for is to hear <laughs> I, you mangle the English language. I killed cyclophosphamide and then I could not get reduces. And they, they also love the part where I ridicule you for it. <laughs> Knowing full fucking well that I would do just as bad, if not worse. So that whole cyclo thing that I just said twice, I'm not even going to try the third time. It reduces inflammation. They can give you a monoclonal antibody. They can give you epileptic drugs to relieve any seizures that you may be having, as well as antipsychotic and neuroleptic drugs. Besides the treatments that we just went over, it is extremely vital that whoever your neurologist is rules out underlying factors like having a stroke or having a tumor or maybe 
intoxications oh. that could contribute to receptor encephalitis. Well, I had an Austrian doctor one time, and he assured me it's not a tumor. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a tumor at was, all. Was he in Seattle? <laughs> yeah. Where boys have penises and girls have vaginas? Yeah. Yeah, he's a big dude. Looked like he's lifted weights a few times in his life. But he did. He assured me. It was not a tumor. It was not a tumor at all. No. <laughs> Killing me here. So the progress of the disease, and I kind of wanted to hit on this, just because it's relatively new, scientists have developed a kind of model to improve the diagnosis and the treatment. They published a, a article in the Journal of Science Translational Medicine and they are saying that this study was done at the Volum Institute in the Oregon Health and Science University and that they have actually developed the most atomic image possible of how the immune system attacks the NMDA receptors. Now, their goal was to cure this crazy disease, but what it's done is they've really gotten a good look at being able to diagnose this fairly quickly because of how the body kind of attacks itself. Of course, our test subjects in this were mice, and so they start testing on the old mices. <laughs> <laughs> and they focused in on modeling the disease by immunizing mice with fully formed NMDA receptors in almost 90% of the mice, certain signs that mimicked the encephalitis developed so that they could recognize the early signs of the disease in order to have more effective therapeutic approach against it. So we've gone over most of just about everything we can. Um, poor Susan Callahan's story. We may do a deep dive on her because she has had some horrible things. She said that she dealt with cognitive difficulties, reduced memory, convulsions, involuntary movements, reduced speech skills, behavior changes, lack of inhibition. She suffered from hallucinations, paranoid thoughts, severe anxiety, severe insomnia, or sleep disorders. Hey, that's two in your checklist, buddy. You might want to yeah, go get checked. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. Like, what? <laughs> she, uh -oh. <laughs> she had... Oh, no. She had decreased consciousness, uh, weakness or tingling in the body, balance problems, and change in vision. I think I got about half of those right now. Uh, especially when you drink. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, man, that's not that's not good. So, well, what do they think causes it? They don't really know what the underlying cause is. It's oh, basically wait, is that why it's a mystery? Yes, why they call that a mystery. A medical yeah. one. <laughs> but it's all starting to come together now. <laughs> they were able to, I guess, piggyback off Susanna's case because she was a journalist by trade. And with her writing the book about what she went through, they could kind of, her recalling what she led up to her being hospitalized kind of gave them a lot of insight. But it's crazy, man. It's crazy to think how many people may have suffered from this and didn't know it or, you know, doctors couldn't figure it out or they suffered in silence and then just died, you know? Yeah, and it's it's weird how the immune system recognizes or, I guess, gets crosswired to think that one of those receptors is basically a foreign body and they start attacking it, which causes yeah. brain inflammation. So, yeah, I mean, it's... That's some crazy shit going on. So, you know, again, there was some frequently asked questions in one of the medical journals I found that was not behind a paywall. And it says, what are the symptoms of this? And it said that the symptoms, like we said, could include seizures, altered consciousness, catatonia, and autonomic disorders. So they're very vague. And then the treatment is basically an intravenous immu immunogenic Globulin. God, I killed that. Immunoglobulin. Plasma you know fears and steroids. Is, you know, seriously. You know, it's going to be funny because it's going to happen. A lot of people find our podcast by Googling a certain case that we've done. 
and then they they find our podcast. A lot of people stick around. Well, a couple of people stick around. A lot of people just listen to that one and move on. And we get emails and stuff about it sometimes. I can't wait for the medical student or the doctor that just Googles medical mystery podcast and they're going to get our episode and they're going to hear you pronounce the words as good as they write them. <laughs> this is, this goes back to why are you, it's kind of like people naming animals. Why do you have to go all Latin and put a bunch of damn consonants together? Oh, I thought I saw a meme about that. Somebody out of the tweet that was like, thank God we discovered all the dinosaurs when we were into mythology and, in Latin, or if we were discovering dinosaurs today, you'd you have like the <laughs> the thick chunky boy, <laughs> the chunky boy asaurus or some shit. That's pretty good. Heckin' big. <laughs> that is pretty good. So is though another frequently asked question was, is it a mental illness? And it says that no, it is not. It is an autoimmune disease, but it mirrors a lot of mental illnesses. Uh, what is anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis? Well, that is brain on fire. What triggers it? They're saying that one of the receptors, like I said, kind of goes bad, short circuits, and then the immune system thinks that it's a foreign bo body and tries to attack it, thus relating, or not relating, thus going and causing the brain on fire effect. So if you are into that kind of stuff, you can look it up and Google it. There's not a whole lot out there unless you can read a lot of medical journals or if you have one of those lovely subscriptions to the medical journal. Vault, I guess, is a better way to do it. So from Brain on Fire, we're going to jump right into... The scariest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Spontaneous human combustion. Ugh. It's terrifying. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> the idea that you can just be chilling on your couch and all of a sudden burst into flames. How's that not the the scariest thing you've ever heard of in your entire life? And what's crazy is there are a lot of these cases. Like the one article that I found was just in 2010, right before Christmas, 76-year-old Michael Faraday not the golfer on the golf channel was found dead in his home in Galway, Ireland, and his body had been badly burned. And all that was left of him were basically his legs below his crotch untouched said that his body had been scorched and there was fire damage to the ceiling, the floor beneath where he was sitting and the wall. But other than that, the rest of the house was untouched. So you get into whether or not this is fact or fiction, and it has its roots going all the way back to the 18th century when Paul Rowley, a fellow at the London's Royal Society, decided and coined the term in 1744 article called Philosophical Transactions. It's a very dear read if you are into such things. Yes, quite. Yes. Now, Rowley <laughs> described it as a process in which the human body allegedly catches fire as a result of heat generated by internal chemical activity, but without evidence of an external source of ignition. The idea gained popularity and became a crazy I guess urban legend trying to get people to quit being alcoholics in the Victorian era and Charles Dickens even wrote about it in his 1853 novel The Bleak House in which one of the minor characters Crook, a cheating merchant with a pennant for gin spontaneously catches fire and burns to death I'm telling you man that's so scary Ugh. Yeah, it is. It's bad. So they say in this article that the first case that they could find went as far back as the 1400s in Milan when a knight named Paulinus Vorstuis 
allegedly burst into flames in front of his own parental units. I believe his name's Polonius. There's no I in there. Don't you tell me. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> the next one was the summer of 1745. Quite a hot summer, if I do remember correctly. Uh, the Countess Cornelia Zangari de Bandi of Cessna. She went to bed early, and the next morning, the Countess's chambermaid found her in a pile of ashes. Only her partially burned head, I don't know why I giggled, I apologize. Only her, I can't help it now, because I've got this crazy, sick picture in my head. But anyway, only her partially burned head and stocking adorned legs remain. Basically, her trunk's gone and up to her about her eyeballs. Although DeBandy had two candles in the room, the wicks were untouched and not lit. Crazy, crazy. Now, there has been very few explanations as how this happens because everything supposedly for those willing to dive into it say that the ignition actually starts inside the body and i don't know if it was unsolved mysteries or one of those shows back when i was a kid did a i guess an experiment and they somehow got a pig to burn and basically the fat from the pig was kind of like the wax of a candle. Once it started, it just burnt through all the fat and continued to burn. But they couldn't replicate the high temperatures. Yeah, I believe that was Unsolved Mysteries. Yes, it's and, and the other thing that's crazy about this is it's like the fire runs out of fuel even though you burn in your bed or in a chair or in your house. Yeah, that's the only thing that really doesn't make sense. If you know, if it is alcoholism and you lit cigarette that falls on your fat fucking belly and you burn up like a pig, why didn't it burn the rest of the place down? That's that is the most confusing part to me. If the if that's the correct explanation, so scientists say that just about every one of them are. Elderly, alone, and seated or sleeping near an ignition source, like an open fireplace, or like you said, they dropped a cigarette on them. But again, the scientists are even going back to the original one and saying they were drinking lots of alcohol. So, back in the Victorian era, they would think that the Almighty was raining down his wrath on the sinner's head for being an alcoholic. Therefore, you shall not drink. <laughs> um, what's even weirder is the fact that a lot of times spontaneous human combustion, like I said, happens to elderly people, but they're more likely to have a stroke or a heart attack. And like you said, they could have a stroke or a heart attack, drop a lit cigarette on them. But again, how are you going to get that high temperature that just kind of extinguishes itself? So I don't know about all that, man. I don't know about all that. Now, there's been 10 of the most famous cases. We've kind of hit on some of these. Um, we did the Irishman back in 2010. We did the first case, um, the Countess. Um, there was one in the 70s. Uh, Jeanette Kazmerzak lived with her husband and son in France and her husband disappeared mysteriously. Jeanette contacted the authorities to try to find her uh, husband and her son, and they couldn't find anything. A few days later, they find her son out with some friends, and a neighbor finds Jeanette's body except for her legs. They were all in ash. Mm. And then... And Disturbing pictures. Yes, they are. In 1967, a passenger on a bus in England noticed blue flames in the window of an apartment building hallway, and she thought it was a gas jet and called the fire department. When the fire, well, not department, fire brigade over the all. When they got there, they supposedly found the body of Robert Francis Bailey, a homeless man, and a fireman reported seeing a slit in the man's abdomen from which the blue flames were leaping from what's even crazier is 
Nicole Millet, the wife of a Parisian innkeeper in 1725, was found after her husband roused the entire inn when he smelled smoke. What was left of Miss Millet was in the kitchen and almost completely reduced to ash with the wooden utensils around her unburned portions. Other accounts of this have her burned on a straw pallet with the straw only having smoldering damage. Now, her husband said that this looked very suspicious. And when he contacted authorities, they turned their attention to him and tried his ass and found him guilty of murder. He appealed it and used the spontaneous human combustion defense and was exonerated all the way back in 1725. And Nicole's death was written down and found to be due by, quote, a visitation of the God Almighty. Oh, man. You don't want that. No, 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 you no. Fucked no, up. No. If God himself visits, fucked up. <laughs> yep. I'm out. I'm going to see myself out. See y'all. Y'all just y'all hang on right there. All right. So the next one is in St. Petersburg, Florida. A landlady was making her rounds in her apartment building when she noticed one door knob was incredibly hot. The tenant, Mary Reznor, did not respond to her calls, and so she called for people to open the door. Inside, she found Reznor's remains in the middle of a six-foot scorched area of carpet. A chair and an end table in the middle of the scorch mark were upright, indicating that they had no activity in the fire. Nearby on the floor, they find a pile of newspapers, which were not touched by the flames. The body, on the other hand, was reduced to ash except for a skull and a completely undamaged foot. Some reports, which might be exaggerated, say that the skull had shrunken down to the size of a teacup. Mm. Pretty sure that don't happen, but okay. Yeah, that sounds a little too... You know, someone's catching on fire for no reason and burning to death. Yeah, but their skull shrinking? I'm out. So, so, uh, the last two are pretty crazy. Now, we got the old boy that won on appeal for saying that God torched his wife. Well, we've got another guy, Jack Angel, who had been hospitalized with severe burns, brought a court case against the manufacturer of his hot water heater for $3 million. He said that he went to check the malfunctioning heater, and it blew and scalded him. However... A doctor noted that his body had burned from the inside out, not the outside in. Shortly afterwards, he changed his story and said he fell asleep only to wake up with terrible burns all over his body and sold his story as a survivor of spontaneous human combustion. So was he one of a handful of people to survive? I don't know, man. What say thee? I don't know, man. I, just, I think if your body is going to spontaneously combust in flames, I don't think you're walking away from it. Yeah, I don't either. If this is a genuine medical mystery, I don't think anybody's walking away from it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Your body catches fire from within. How are you putting that shit out? <laughs> That's a damn good question. Like, One that I don't have an answer to. So the last one I wanted to go over was what they're calling the witnessed case. This is only one case of human combustion for which there was a witness. A mentally disabled woman lived with her father who cared for her. One day, he saw a flash out of the corner of his eye and turned to find her on fire. Despite the flames, she continued to quietly sit in the chair, not reacting and not giving any indication that she was in pain. The man's attempts to put the fire out left him with burned hands. The woman lived through the combustion, but slipped into a coma and died shortly after. This indicates one of the strangest parts of human combustion. It takes a very hot flame to reduce a human body to ash. Crematoriums have special chambers designed for it. Coach knows where one's at, but he's too chicken shit to go look at it. I'm not going. I'm not going <laughs> to the Lafayette, Lafayette Crematorium. is not... Happening. However, 
No effing way. In most human combustion cases, there's no burns in the room around the body, indicating that the person simply is sitting still. So whatever's causing it burns hot enough to reduce bone to ash, but doesn't burn the surroundings. It's crazy. Hey, guys, Arlo here. And we have partnered with the great folks over at Magic Mind to bring you a game changer when it comes to your morning caffeine ritual. Uh, Those of us that have been drinking coffee and taking energy drinks in the morning to try to get our day kick-started know that we've got that caffeine crash or sometimes the coffee or the energy drink just does not work. Well, this is where Magic Mind comes into play. Magic Mind is made from nootropics, adaptogens, matcha green tea, and 12 magical ingredients. Now, they allowed us to sample this product before we released this ad, and I can tell you that it is truly a godsend. I drink about, it's like six cups of coffee every morning, and about halfway through that six cup of coffee mug, I started taking the Magic Mind. And then I would finish my coffee. So the first day, you know, I was like, eh, we'll see how this goes. And I don't know if it was the sugar pill in the brain kind of thing, but I can tell you that within about 20 minutes, I was pretty calm. And that's something that I didn't think was possible, suffering from anxiety and then drinking something with coffee. It is, like I said previously, a little two-ounce shot. One big old gulp, you're done with it, finish your coffee. And I can tell you that the L-theanine in the Magic Mind lowers your cortisol level, which is your stress hormone, but it also allows your body to absorb the caffeine that you're intaking. The matcha in it boosts your energy. The adaptogens help with relaxation. The nootropics keep you focused, and it even has vitamins C and D along with echinacea, to help your immunity. So head over to www.magicmind.co backslash brews and get 40% off your subscription for the next 10 days with our code BREWS20 at www.magicmind.co backslash brews. Now this code is going to give you 20% off for either a one-time purchase or a subscription. If you act in the first 10 days, it will be a 40% off subscription, and you can stack it with another 5% off on the website. So that's 45% off. We are proud to be partnering with Magic Mind. So one more time, that code is BREWS20 at www.magicmind.co backslash Bruise, B-R-E-W-S. And we are going to wrap this medical mystery episode up with one of the more stranger things that I could find when looking for three cases. And I figured, why not? We do strange shit. And it is the jumping Frenchman of Maine lumber camps. Now, listen, I can, like, we might not be able to explain what happens to these guys. But I can relate to what goes on with these guys. <laughs> I can, I'll, and I'll explain why in a minute. So in 1880, Dr. George Miller Beard boarded a train for Moosehead Lake in Maine to see for himself the strange lumberjacks known as the Jumping Frenchman. Many of the lumber camps had them, and the Jumping Frenchman tended to be shy, ticklish French Canadians. How are they ticklish? Or why are they ticklish? But well, anyway, How do they know? I know. <laughs> You're in a lumber the camp. doctors like tickle them? <laughs> getcha, getcha, goo! So, they also respond very dramatically if you scared the shit out of them. And this was probably why they were all victims of the old jokesters around the camps. Well, it wasn't even the fact that they, if you scared the shit out of them, they responded to any type of stimuli that was not normal. It wasn't even like jump scares. It was like... You know, they're, they're sitting in a quiet room. Like, hey, man, you want some coffee? Like, oh, what the hell? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Damn, son, you you living right over there? What's going on? Yeah, like, just you could literally scare the shit out of these guys. 
for for nothing. So Dr. Beard was a pioneering neurologist who defined the term neurasthenia. No. <laughs> neurasthenia. Neurasthenia as a medical condition. He went to Moosehead Lake to see jumping Frenchman with his own eyes and found what he was looking for. Quote, when told to strike, he strikes. When told to throw it, he throws it. Whatever he has in his hands, wrote Beard. But Beard couldn't figure out what caused the Frenchman to jump. A century later, researchers are still trying to figure it out. And see, like I said, like, I don't know how to explain it, but I can relate to him as, man, when I'm on one of my insomnia kicks and I ain't slept in several days, Everything scares the shit out of you. Like any change in noise that you're not expecting, and it doesn't even have to be loud, will just literally terrify you. I don't want any part of that. Like people, like people will laugh, like, and then they'll laugh in your face about it. <laughs> like that's how people die. Like this is this is a serious medical condition. <laughs> I'm one hour away from losing my shit and just burning the house down. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so a century later, Robert Pike chronicled the life in the main lumber camps and wrote that old woodsmen ascribed the jumping Frenchman syndrome to inbreeding among the French Canadians who seldom married outside their small villages. Like we said, the jumping Frenchmen were a source of amusement for the old logging camps. And Pike wrote in his book, Tall Trees, Tough Men, if a jumper was shaving or whistling or just sitting on a riverbank and someone came up behind him suddenly and cried, jump into the river or into the fire, if there was a fire, he'd jump. If someone stepped up behind him and tickled him lightly, he'd jump through the roof. Strangely, the victims of such mean practical jokes never got made about them. Yeah, I'm sure they got messed with the no end because... People are dicks. (laughs) Yeah. Now, this one says that uh, it was a cook who was also one of the jumping Frenchmen. And they said that he was an irresistible target. Quote, the men would wait until he was about to place a dish of soup or some other spilly food on the table and then say, drop it. And down it would go right down the neck of the nearest man. And then they said that you could be in a, if there was a jumper in line and someone messed with him, then the whole line would be thrown off. So it was actually quite crazy. Um, Beard, when he was researching it, was struck by the obedience shown by the Frenchman as well as the repetition of noises or phrases. It's like they were mimicking it as they were jumping, he said. Um, Beard recited Latin to a lumberjack and, quote, he repeated or echoed the sound of the word as it came to him in a quick, sharp voice at the same time he jumped or struck or threw or raised his shoulders or made some other violent muscular motion. They could not help repeating the word or sound that came from the person that ordered them. So this is almost like a Simon Says that's involuntary. And you said that they think that it was caused by inbreeding? Well, that's what Pike thought when he investigated. Um, we could go to Tuscaloosa right now and disprove that. <laughs> oh, shit. I swear I'm just playing. <laughs> don't, don't, do not write me hate mail. <laughs> Just playing. Good Lord. Oh, that was a a good one. That was a good (laughs) one. We could go to Scummerville. Where? Scummerville. You know, Shinbone Valley. I don't know what you're talking about. What? Shinbone Valley? I have to tell you off air. But anyway. Well, no, because it'll take too long. Okay, so, all right. So, Shinbone Valley is this place in Chattooga County that has supposedly the best pot. So good that even. Willie Nelson himself got some from our, and it's rumored to taste some inbreeding up in there in Shinbone Valley. So hmm. there you go. 
I gave you the Reader's Digest first. Wow, that was, yeah, that was so long. It, it well, I've got like a board. shit ton of stories about Shinbone Valley that we could probably make a whole episode on Shinbone Valley. Hell one. This is a short episode anyway. All right, so a kid that was wrestling when I coached wrestling up there at the city school in Chattooga County, I will not say the school's name, therefore I will not get slammed, you know, accused of slander. This old boy lived in Shinbone Valley, and him and his cousins were going to take one of his granddaddy's mules to trade days down there in Somerville (laughs) and sell it for some quick cash. Well, the old mule wouldn't get in the horse trailer, so these three geniuses tie a rope to one of the back legs, and they're going to run the rope through the other end of the horse trailer and coax him in there. Well... Stubborn as a mule means something, and the old mule wouldn't move, and they yanked on that thing with a four-wheeler so bad they dislocated the back leg as they drug it into the horse trailer, and they still took it to trade days, and everybody that was about to buy it figured out that it couldn't move and had a gimp leg, and so they had to take it home, and when they were trying to sneak it back in the pasture, Granddaddy found them and commenced to beating the shit out of all three of these teenagers and then had to put the mule down. Damn, that's one interesting story. See, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 say it, tell it, tell it. Oh, that was a short story, tell it. You, you got a mean stories and that's the one you chose? Well, that's the cleanest one, and I didn't want to call somebody out for hanging their nutsack on one of them little rolly things on a double door in the school. Okay, now we got to know this one. <laughs> the hell? You don't want to be too dirty on the fucking cuss word podcast? No. <laughs> this old boy was a two-time state wrestling champion, and he was celebrating after winning uh, region or area, actually, back then. Okay, you definitely going to tell me his name off the air because if he's a two-time state wrestling champion, I know him. I guarantee it. I don't remember how this was 2002. Anyway. Uh, That's like two years after I graduated. I definitely know who it is. I still don't know the kid's name. I just, we just called him. I'll tell you what we called him later. But anyway, so he's celebrating when they get back late from area. And he's going to be funny before he takes a shower in the locker room. And he starts acting like he's pole dancing on that little metal I-beam that's between two doors going out of the gym. (laughs) Yeah. And you know how they got those rollers for the locks? Well, he snags one of his old nut sacks in one of them rollers and it pinches it so bad and it gets caught. They had to get someone over there to reverse the roller to roll his nut sack out. No. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Next time you're trying to tell a story and one of them is about a donkey and the other one has involved someone having to have their nut sack unrolled from a door, go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not the smartest person when it comes to things. But, but you I think dingaling know. jokes go well a long way? <laughs> yeah. Dingaling stories go a long way, my friend. <laughs> that's uh, where that's how you get ratings. <laughs> that's true. That is true. God that had to hurt. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Oh man, I bet he cried. I bet he I did would. more than cry. I bet he threw up. All right, so back so, Hold on, let me tell you one story about this poor kid. I felt so bad for him when I was coaching. I wasn't coaching on his team, but I saw it happen. He was wrestling in the state finals. He's and his the heavyweight wrestler from the same team was in the finals next. And they're wearing pristine white singlets. Their final singlets. And that man had a he had an accident. Let's just put it that way. And so wrestling stops. Nobody knows what's going on because it's not blood time. It's not injury time. People don't know what's going on. That'd be poop time. Yeah. So he just takes off running off the mat, and you hear him tell the heavyweight, and they go behind the bleachers. And he comes out with a new singlet on, and the heavyweight ain't got a singlet on anymore. Anyway, he went and lost real quick. Like, But the only reason why it makes me laugh now is because I know me and I know how I was if I was in high school. And I know that on Monday morning, I'd have been like, hey, man, I heard you got number two. I mean, second. I mean, second. (laughs) (laughs) 
kid, though. I, I did know him. Again, I didn't coach him, but I did know him. He's a super nice kid. I hope he's doing well in life. Oh, all right. So back to the jumping Frenchman. Beard eventually. Oh, shit, I thought we were done with him. <laughs> no, Beard. Whoa, there. Cut, I cut out. Beard eventually said that he thought that the jumping Frenchman syndrome started in childhood and lasted a lifetime and rarely occurred in women. Of 50 jumping Frenchmen in northern Maine, he found 14 cases in four different families. He didn't conclude that the syndrome was genetic, but speculated it was a temporary degeneration that resulted from life in the isolated lumber camps. Now, he did spread his research around the world and search for a global variation of the jumping Frenchman syndrome. And he uncovered Lata in, in Malaysia, Emu amongst the Japanese, Ainu Mirakat in Russia, and Ramajananana in Madagascar. Now, how do you say the French G-I-L-L-E-S? Isn't it like Gilles? Yes. Gilles de la Tourette translated Beard's findings and concluded that the jumping Frenchman syndrome was part of a group of convulsive tick illnesses, thus Tourette syndrome. Man, I really hope that's how you say it in French because I'm sure somebody... <laughs> if I, oh, yes, that's how you say it. We're both wrong. <laughs> yeah, that a boy. We will hear about that, I'm sure. So a lot of neurologists would pick up Beard's research in the 1960s debating whether the jumping Frenchman syndrome was a nervous disorder or a habit. In 1963, Harold Stevens studied a 59-year-old French-Canadian man whose father had worked as a lumberjack in northern Maine. He was easily startled and jumped about 10 inches off the bed when struck by a reflex hammer. He reacted yeah, to... Hold on, how can it be a habit? You just got a habit of getting the shit scared out of you anytime something loud happens? I guess. I don't know. How's that a habit, though? I don't just, no, hell, I don't know if we're dealing with the Three Stooges or not. It, even so, it's not a habit. Well, I, I agree with you, but that's what they're saying. I'm not going to disagree with you now. <laughs> yeah, he would never do that, would he? But he wasn't going. He wasn't going to fucking agree with you for shit. <laughs> <laughs> he would never. Now I'm not disagreeing with you. Well, so you're agreeing with me? <laughs> no, I didn't say that either. <laughs> Idiot. Idiot. But anyway, so this guy would react the same way when the telephone rang as when he was struck with a reflex hammer. Two years later, a Canadian neurologist named Ruben Rabinovich wrote about his childhood experiences with the jumping Frenchman in Quebec. When Lumberjack set up camp near his village in the spring, the children would play the horse-kicking game. I'm not even looking that up. Sneaking up on a jumper, a child would suddenly poke him while making a neighing sound, and the victim would jump up and shout angrily. Rabinovich concluded that the jumping Frenchman syndrome was a conditioned reflex that grew out of the isolation and boredom of life in the lumber camps. When the traditional logging camp died out, so did the jumping Frenchman. In 1986, two Canadian neurologists studied eight jumpers in Quebec. They found the behavior started when the men began working as lumberjacks. What the absolute hell? That don't make no sense. No, that's why it's a medical mystery, my brother. Son of a bitch, we're on to something here. <laughs> so... Something about exposure to the wood... Uh, what, hey, did, well, no, I was about to, uh, I caught myself. So anyway, um, no, there was an episode on, of some show that you never watched that I was about to reference. So it would have been lost on you. X-Files. Bingo. You know, I almost watched that the other day and I thought, hell no. I'm going to be the last son of a bitch that loves mysteries to not watch an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're fake mysteries. I like real mysteries. Well, there's a little bit of uh, realism in some of their stories because I, well, I will pause it and be like, does this have any truth behind it? Has anyone ever said anything like this? And sometimes they are doing, they just take, uh, what do you say, fictional creativity to it. But anyway. Mm, I got you. All right. So let's get into recommendations. So, did you happen to watch the missing four one one UFO? 
No, not yet. I need to, though. Yeah, you do, you bastard. I, it was on my to-do list. I just never did it. Yeah, imagine that. So I'm going to recommend another one. It's on Netflix, and you have to take this. When I say it, you'll either eye roll or you'll be like, mm, I might could watch it. So it, it comes from our longtime listener, Mr. Terry Andrew. He is the one that told me about it, and it is Graham Hancock's series, Ancient Apocalypse. Ooh. They're about... 30 minutes to 40 minutes long. There's eight episodes. I've got through the first one. He makes a great case for what basically he says is an ancient advanced civilization that far exceeds what modern science will allow. And archaeologists are refusing to look into these sites around the globe. Um, He's been on Rogan a bunch. Rogan is one of his fans, I guess. Uh, one of the last ones was episode 1897 with Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson. They do a pretty good job. It, Graham Hancock is kind of controversial in the fact that he's got some fringe shit out there, and he's wrote a ton of books about it. So either you are a Graham Hancock fan or you're not, or you are interested in what he says and kind of take his research with a dose of skepticism, I guess, healthy skepticism, and research it on your own. So that's my recommendation. Ancient Apocalypse on Netflix. Well, I happen to have a recommendation from Netflix Netflix as well, and I was hoping it would be the same one. I was going to be like, oh, my God, no way. <laughs> <laughs> What is, is it? <laughs> Are you watching Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? That's on Hulu, bro. I'm pretty sure they've got a Netflix special, too. No, it's on Hulu. Trust me, because I'm watching Sons of Anarchy again. Because <laughs> you'll never guess what series I just finished for the at least, the very least the ninth full time. <gasps> Justified. I sure did. Like, literally, like, three days ago. <laughs> Anyway, this is a three-part series. I got to finish. I'm halfway through number three. I fell asleep, but uh, must be riveting. It was really good because I turned it on to try to go to sleep. I ended up watching two uh, two hours of it. Dang. <laughs> anyway, it's called Eat the Rich, the GameStop Saga. Talking about when? Yeah, uh, I know where this is going. Go ahead. Wall Street bets on Reddit decided to fuck over the hedge fund guys, which is amazing and awesome, and it's very good. I am interested in that. So very good, sir. Very good. Very good. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that just about wraps it up over here down in the basement. Coach, you got anything else for our Coach, lovely listeners? Next time when we bring you some more wacky adventures of Coach and Arlo. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Deuces. <laughs>